Thank you, Caleb. It is my great joy to be in God's Word with you this morning. Uh, we actually will be wrapping up today our study of the book of Galatians. We've been preaching through the epistle to see how the apostles taught the church. So next week, we will be resuming our, our journey through the Gospel of John. But before we get into our text, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, as we open your word, we are dependent, as always, on your Holy Spirit to teach us. Your word tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So guide us by your spirit into all truth. Help us to spiritually discern the text this morning. Supernaturally apply the truth to our lives. Help us to be students of your word. Teach us to live in the light of the cross of Jesus. Amen. Neglected Endings. That's the name of a book by seminary professor Jeff Wyma. His basic premise is that we tend to neglect the endings of Paul's epistles. By the time we get to the closing, we think he's already said everything he's going to say. But we, we do that and then we breeze through it or ignore it completely. That's a mistake though, especially for Galatians. Our text this morning is one of those surprising passages that may not seem like much at first reading, but underneath, as we get into it, we'll see it's rich and profound. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians because false teachers were troubling the church, the first. It actually has a lot of urgency there, and you can see it because he writes it differently than the other epistles. It lacks the warm greetings that you see uh, in his later letters that became characteristic of them, Paul jumps right into the issue at hand. In the same way, in the closing, the latter lacks a lot of the elements that you would see in his other epistles. We don't see requests for prayer, travel plans, doxologies, greetings to or from Paul's associates. What we do see is a return to the theme of the cross. Paul introduces this theme back in chapter 2. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our union with Christ means that when he died, we died. We were co-crucified with him. The old life that was enslaved to sin and the law has been done away with. The new life is lived by faith in the Son of God. So now in the closing, Paul returns to this important theme of the cross. In verse 14 of our text, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul close his letter by returning to the theme of the cross? 
because it is the opposite of the teaching of the Judaizers. It is contrary to justification by works. It shows a total reliance on divine accomplishment rather than human achievement. In the closing words of this letter, Paul will talk about three reasons to boast only in the cross. First, through the cross, we are crucified to the world. Second, through the cross, we participate in the new creation. And third, through the cross, we belong to God's people. In our study, we will answer the following questions. What is a characteristic of all false religion? What are the three indictments Paul levels against the Judaizers? Why does Paul mention both circumcision and uncircumcision in verse 15? What are three ways to interpret the phrase, the Israel of God, in verse 16? How does this text apply to the life of the church today? And finally, what can we learn from this passage? about how the apostles taught the church. First, Paul boasts only in the cross because through it we are crucified to the world. Paul says this in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He begins his, his argument actually back in verse 11 where Paul seems to take the pen from the secretary's hand. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. In a way, this is Paul's signature. He writes this verse, or possibly the whole closing section, in his own hand. It shows that the letter is genuine. It's really from him. Paul closed 2 Thessalonians by saying, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Paul may have written in such large letters because they were the only ones he could see. In chapter 4, he said that it was because of a bodily ailment that he first preached the gospel to the Galatians. Most Bible commentators believe this was his famous thorn in the flesh. In Galatians 4.15, Paul says, If possible, you would have Galatians to do an eye transplant. By giving him their own eyes, they would have done so. But in addition to authenticating the letter, though, Paul's large script serves another purpose here. The whole closing section characterizes the contrast between the Judaizers and Paul. The Judaizers claimed that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was not sufficient for salvation, that justification required faith in Christ and works of the law, that to be part of God's people, the Galatians had to believe in Jesus plus be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. The Judaizers were all about human achievement. In contrast, Paul reminds the Galatians of his physical limitations, of his weakness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, that he pleaded with the Lord three times to remove his thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In contrast to Paul's boast of weakness, we have the boasting of the Judaizers. In verses 12 and 13, Paul levels three indictments against the Judaizers, that they boast in the flesh, that they're just trying to avoid persecution, and that they don't even keep the law themselves. First, Paul speaks of their boast. In verse 12, he starts out, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Verse 13 ends with, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So the Judaizers' concern with flesh actually brackets these two verses. They're all about human achievement rather than divine accomplishment. All false religions are. There are only two choices, really, two types of religions in the world, the religion of grace and the religions of works. You're either seeking salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, or you're seeking rewards from Allah for good deeds and hoping that they outweigh the, the bad, or an end to the cycle of samsara to attain good karma through good behavior, or enlightenment to attain nirvana by following a list of rules, or good standing with God by what you do. The Judaizers tried to straddle grace and works by saying you needed faith in Christ plus circumcision. But Paul said in chapter 5 that if you try to be justified by circumcision, then you must keep the whole law. In other words, if your justification is to be through keeping the law, you must do it flawlessly. James said it this way, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So how many laws do you have to break to be a criminal? Only one. The second indictment that Paul levels against the Judaizers is that they are just trying to avoid persecution. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that you may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. After city, in Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. The Judaizers tried to avoid this kind of persecution by placating the Jews. It's almost as if they were saying, see, we're good Jews too. We practice circumcision and, and observe the law of Moses. They downplayed the cross, saying that Christ's crucifixion wasn't sufficient to atone for sin. They wanted to make a good showing among the Jews who found the teaching of the cross offensive. Paul said that preaching Christ crucified was a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The prophecies of Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 were clearly fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. But for some Jews, the idea of Messiah dying on a Gentile cross 
was unthinkable. Messiah crucified was a stumbling block to Jews. For the Gentiles, the thought of following a Jew who was rejected by his own people and crucified was crazy. It was madness. It was folly. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, the preaching of Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Paul's third indictment against the Judaizers is that they didn't even keep the law themselves. We see this in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The Judaizers were hypocrites. They told others to keep the law, but only pretended to keep the law themselves. It was all about pride and looking good and avoiding persecution. They wanted to boast about how many Gentiles they had circumcised. In contrast to this boast, we have Paul's boast in the cross of Christ. Verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's hard for us to appreciate fully the impact of Paul's words on those original readers. It would be like me saying, I never ever boast except in the electric chair. Or I only exalt in the hangman's noose. Or I only glory in the lethal injection or in the gas chamber. What do you think of when you think of the cross? Some may think of the cross on the top of a church building or the cross in a ministry logo like remedies or the cross worn as jewelry. Some of us may think of a picture or a movie that depicts a crucifixion, but none of us have ever seen someone crucified. To the people of the first century, however, the cross was an instrument of terror. The cross wasn't invented by the Romans, but it was perfected by them. They crucified thousands and thousands of people. It was an excruciating death. In fact, the etymology, the origin of the word excruciating is crux, C-R-U-X, the, the Latin word for cross. Paul's boasting only in the cross would have sounded much more startling to the Galatians. In the Greek, the language is even stronger. It's like saying, far be it from me that I would ever, no, never, ever boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Paul, we as believers have nothing to boast about except the cross. Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is the only thing that we have standing between us and the wrath of God which is what we deserve. So God calls all men and women, every places them on Jesus 
on the cross, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. For us, the cross of Christ is our redemption, our hope, our identity. Verse 14 goes on to say that through the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through our co-crucifixion with Christ, we as believers are decisively separated from the world. It's like the employee who quits his job when he's about to be laid off. The company doesn't want him and he doesn't want the company. The separation goes both ways. Through the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This means that we are a corpse to the world and the world is a corpse to us. It has no power over us any longer. Next, Paul tells us about what has taken the place of the world. Let's look at verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul boasts only in the cross, because through the cross, we participate in the new creation. The Judaizers were boasting in circumcision, but Paul says it doesn't count for anything. This is what he's been saying really throughout the book of Galatians. By works of the law, no one will be justified. But then he says something very unexpected. He adds the words, nor uncircumcision. This is new. Why does Paul include uncircumcision here in verse 15? The answer is that by including uncircumcision, he broadens the idea to human distinctions that don't matter in the new creation. Human distinctions that used to separate us. We find an echo here of Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Judaizers were saying, that you had to become a Jew to be a Christian. But Paul is saying, you need to think about this differently. You need to change all of your underlying assumptions. The cross has changed everything. Today, we might call it a paradigm shift. So children, you may not have heard of a paradigm shift before, but rather than try to explain it to you, let me see if I can show it to you. Let's put up the picture. So children, what is this a picture of? Someone? Okay, what kind of lady? A an old lady? A maid, okay. How many of you see it? Let me ask everybody. How many see it as an old lady? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you see it as a young lady? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, so those of you that see it as an old lady, imagine is an earring. So do you now see a young lady? And then those of you that see a young lady, imagine an old lady looking down. And the dot in the middle is her eye. 
do you now see an old lady? So how many of you saw it one way at first and then in a flash it changed? Anybody? All right. So congratulations. You experienced a paradigm shift. So Paul is telling the Galatians that they need a paradigm shift. They saw the world as Jew and Gentile. Now, even in the temple, they had a dividing wall that separated the court of Gentiles from the rest of the temple. Gentiles crossed that dividing wall on pain of death. Paul later writes to the Ephesians that Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile to reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So, um, for neither, sorry, our, our verse says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Christ has inaugurated a new era through the cross. What counts is the new creation. Now, the phrase new creation does occur once elsewhere in Scripture. Paul tells the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned, and mankind fell with him. But God is restoring his fallen creation. Through the cross, God imparts new spiritual life to his children. The theological term for this is regeneration. It's also referred to as being born again. The Judaizers were taking the old and adding a new element to it. They were putting new wine in old wineskins. They were taking the law and sprinkling in a little Jesus. But that's like lighting a candle to take outside into the blazing sun. The candle has been surpassed. The cross isn't additive, it's transformative. It's all-encompassing. That's why Paul boasts only in the cross. The cross is the pride and joy of the new creation. It is our boast. It is what we exalt in. It is our glory. Finally, Paul boasts only in the cross because through it we belong to God's people. Please look with me at verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Many of Paul's letters end with the benediction of peace, but only Galatians mentions both peace and mercy. It also makes the promise conditional. It is only for those who follow this rule, the rule of boasting only in the cross and seeing the world through the paradigm of the new creation. Galatians began with a conditional curse in 1.8 on anyone preaching a different gospel. It now ends with a conditional blessing. The Judaizers were saying that to be part of God's people, you had to be circumcised. Paul is saying that the people of God are now re redefined around Jesus, the Messiah. Everything has been reconstituted in light of the cross. 
Now, the meaning of the phrase Israel of God in verse 16 is the source of debate among Bible commentators. Their deliberations fill volumes. But if you'll forgive me for oversimplification, let me try to summarize the three main views. The first view is that there are two groups and two blessings. The Israel of God is one group, and those who walk by this rule is another. Those who hold to this view argue that the first prepositional phrase is dependent on the second. So they would interpret it to read, may peace come upon you and all who walk by this rule and mercy also to the Israel of God. The second view agrees that it's talking about two groups, that those who walk by this rule and the Israel of God are two separate groups. But they say that they both share the same conditional blessing of peace and mercy. The third view is that the Israel of God and those who walk by this rule are identical groups. The Israel of God is referring to those who walk by this rule. So it's just another way of referring to them. So the three views are two groups, two blessings. Two groups, one blessing, and one group, one blessing. All three views look at the syntax, meaning the order of the words in Greek. All look at the use of the word Israel in Paul's writings and in the New Testament as a whole. And all three look at the context of the book of Galatians. But each view gives these a different weighting. Some people will select a view based solely on their eschatology, their view of end times. So in other words, how they view this passage is based on how they view Israel and the church. That in turn is based on whether they are all millennialist, premillennial dispensationalist, or historical premillennialist. Your position on end times, however, shouldn't be the only criteria that you use to select one of the three views. Why is that? Well, because the phrase Israel of God is only used here in all of Scripture. So I would be careful about linking the meaning of this phrase to scatological arguments. That said, to me, the most compelling view is the third, that those who walk by this rule and the Israel of God are the same group. We're talking about one group and one blessing. Throughout Galatians, Paul has argued that we are no longer Jew and Gentile, but one in Christ. Through faith, we're all children of Abraham. So I don't think that Paul suddenly calls out a different group based on ethnic lines. The context of Galatians, remember, is the false teaching of the Judaizers. They said that to be part of God's people, you had to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. What I believe Paul is saying here is that we belong to God's people because we follow the rule of boasting in the cross, not in the flesh. We're looking to Jesus alone to save us. We're God's people because of the cross. Paul continues in verse 17. 
From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul had been stoned in the Galatian city of Lystra. No doubt he still bore the scars of this and other persecution. The Judaizers, on the other hand, boasted in the physical mark of circumcision. Paul brilliantly contrasts their physical marks with his. He got his marks through persecution. As they would say on Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The Judaizers added works to the gospel of grace. They said the Galatians weren't part of the people of God. In contrast, Paul speaks a blessing of grace over them, and he calls them brothers. Before we end, there are a couple of questions we have left to answer. How does this text apply to the life of the church today? And what can we learn from the passage about how the apostles taught the church? So first, how does this text apply to the life of the church today? In our passage, we saw two boasts. We saw the boast in the flesh and the boast in the cross. In which of these do you boast today? Do you ever see in yourself the mindset, maybe not even consciously, that law-keeping is the ground of your acceptance with God? Are you functioning as if God is for you rather than against you because you keep a list of rules? Do you find yourself doing good things? Yay, but for the wrong reasons. When I ask myself these questions, I find my motivations for good works, for ministry, for spiritual disciplines are sometimes for the wrong reasons. It's not from a heart that's overflowing with gratitude for the cross, but a heart that is me-centered. So what is the remedy for such a heart? The gospel. So brothers and sisters, that's why you must preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's why you must bring your heart back to the, the cross and remember everything that God has done for you. Our trust is in divine accomplishment, not in human achievement. What can we learn from this passage about how the apostles taught the church? we can learn that Paul teaches through repetition. The cross has been a central subject throughout the letter. Now, with Paul about to sign off, he takes one last opportunity to say that the cross is his single glory, his only boast. Why? Because change requires teaching. We have to be taught to boast only in the cross. Or as John Piper puts it, the source of exaltation in the cross of Christ is education about the cross of Christ. In our text today, Paul was teaching the church to boast, to glory, to exalt only in the cross of Christ. 
To the Corinthians, he said something similar. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. With singular focus, Paul preached Christ crucified. So should the church be involved with good works? Of course. Should we participate in mercy ministries? Absolutely. Should many organizations do those things, but only the church proclaims the good news of the gospel. Like Paul, our primary focus must always be to preach the cross of Christ. The cross is our boast. It is our joy. It is our message. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the end of the letter to the Galatians, I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Help us to stay true to the gospel and that we would not confuse law and grace. Teach us to boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Help us to shed the paradigm of human distinctions that don't matter in the light of the cross. Educate us on what it means to be part of the people of God. Teach us how the cross changes everything. Let it be our single glory.